Well, uh, today, as Kate even mentioned, uh, we're finishing up our Bible teaching series uh, where we've been looking at all of these internal struggles, these internal battles. Paul used the language, this war that wages within me. And we've talked about everything from depression and stress, anxiety, sin, temptations, being overwhelmed, feeling under pressure. We've talked about being frustrated. And even the last week where we talked about the worries and the desire for more. We constantly want more and we're worried we're not going to have enough. And so then we keep trying to get more and then we're just worried that we're going to have to hold on to it. So there's this constant battle of wanting more, needing more and our worries. And like Kate said, we, we left the rocks up on stage because these worries, these struggles, these difficulties, these anxieties, these stresses, these temptations, they usually don't just disappear. Right? So this is a reminder for us as we kind of finish this series that God doesn't promise to completely remove all of our problems this side of heaven. Yes, there will be a day where we get to experience perfection with him. But for now, these aren't necessarily gone and disappeared. What he does do though, is when we come to him and, and we offer our lives to him, he meets us where we are he gives us the strength to walk through them. He doesn't leave us alone. He navigates these struggles with us, changes us from the inside out. So I pray that that's a reminder that it's these worries, these problems, these struggles are always, I'm gonna say always in this life, gonna be, be there in some form or fashion. And we're always gonna struggle. So can we look for God to meet us where we are, help us, lead us, begin to change us, put people around us to help walk through it? We say a lot that we stumble in the right direction together. May those rocks be a reminder of that. So as we kind of wrap up and conclude this series, let me read out of Psalms chapter four, Psalm chapter four, verse four and five, that us will kind of get us on the same page for where we're going this morning. Um, and then I'll pray and we'll go from there. Psalm chapter four, verse four. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Figured it was fitting to talk about anger at some point throughout this uh, struggle series. Um, so yes, we are gonna talk a lot about anger this morning. I want you to even pay attention to what Psalm said here. Uh, David's the author of this Psalm and he connects, connects anger with trust. So don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't be controlled by anger. And then in verse five, and trust the Lord. So we're gonna see this correlation between our anger and trusting in God. Uh, before we pray, let me just give you permission here. If this already is like stirring something up in you and you're like, man, why are we talking about anger? I don't have an anger problem. If that's you, let me give you permission. We're gonna pray. And when we pray, I usually encourage people to close their eyes to, to kind of minimize the distractions. If you need to sneak out at this point, you are welcome to. If you're like, this is gonna hit a little too close to home. I don't want Brian preaching at me. I've not read emails. I've not had spouses call me and tell me about your anger problems. Your kids have not said anything to me. I'm gonna preach to myself and figure you might need to hear this as well. But if you wanna leave, we're gonna close our eyes and pray. You can make it out and I won't judge you for it, right? I will not judge you whatsoever because I know none of us have an anger problem. So this is for them, not you. This is for them. Got it? All right, so here's how I want to do this. If you would, if you close your eyes with me, I'm gonna not just pray for us. I'm gonna give you a few things to specifically pray for. So let's go to God in prayer. 
First, would you, in your own heart, would you pray and thank God for who he is and all that he's done for you personally? Would you remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, his crucifixion and his resurrection? Would you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as we open God's word this morning? Would you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart to reveal the the aspects of anger that we have been holding on to that maybe we don't even realize? Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your, how your spirit speaks to us. We thank you for the teachings of Jesus and how he experienced everything we are going through. And he still lived a sinless, perfect life. So may we look to him as our example. May we look to him as our leader. May we follow you, even in the midst of our anger and in the midst of our emotion. Thank you for your word and how it speaks. May we be good listeners and followers this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about it. What are you angry about? Don't say it out loud, of course. Uh, what are you angry about? Like we all probably walked in here with something that we're like, it's just really bothering me. It could be something in your own home. It could be something in your workplace. It could be something that's happening around the world or in our own backyard, in our own country. It could be something that's relationally tense. So it might not be a, what are you angry about? Maybe yours is a who. Who are you angry with? Maybe you're with them right now and just keep your eyes on me. Don't look over. Don't look over. If you want to have a good rest of your day, just keep your eyes on me. Maybe it's a who. Maybe you are angry with someone or you know that somebody is angry with you and it's caused a lot of friction and a lot of conflict in your relationship. Maybe it's not... Maybe it doesn't feel like a home right now. It's like, yeah, you've got a house and maybe you've got some roommates or maybe you've got a spouse or maybe you've got some kids, but it doesn't feel like a home because there's a whole lot of anger and there's a whole lot of tension. Maybe you're gonna be angry with me by the end of this, right? It doesn't take much. I mean, I could say one wrong thing about a sports team and half of you are gonna be mad at me. I could make a a political comment Oh, we got real quiet on that one. He's like, oh, where's it going? I'm not gonna say anything. I'm smarter than that. But I could can, I can upset a whole lot of you just by something I say. Here's what, I will share this one. This one might make a whole lot of you mad. If you didn't walk out before, you might walk out now. If I were to confess that I've already started listening to Christmas music. <laughs> thank you. We get a few applause and the rest of you are just fuming. How could you? How dare you? Oh, and it just makes you so mad. It does not take much for us to get angry, does it? I mean, it does not take much. One comment, one statement, one thought, one omission, and all of a sudden, you can just feel it from the inside. It starts to boil in you, and we know where anger leads. It eventually comes outward. So what I'm going to have us do today, we're going to be in two different places. So if you want to earmark them, bookmark them, however you want to navigate it, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20. Old Testament, Numbers chapter 20, and then we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Numbers chapter 20 is going to give us a great example of anger, but what we're going to pay attention to in that example is not just the story of anger, but how God viewed the anger. That's important because a lot of times we're like, well, there's righteous anger. I have a right to be angry. Like, we can have that conversation. That's not for today, but I want you to see how God talks about 
anger in Numbers chapter 20. And that's gonna help us get over to Ephesians chapter four, where Paul takes the teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught a lot about anger, Matthew chapter five, if you wanna dig in a little bit further. And he takes that and he really kind of sits it in our laps. And be like, so here's what this looks like. Here's how we live through this today. So an example in what God sees, uh, sees in how he talks about anger in Numbers 20, then we're gonna move over to Ephesians chapter four and see how that might help us apply this for us today. So Numbers chapter 20, let me give you a little context. This is gonna focus on Moses. Moses, remember, tapped on the shoulder by God, the burning bush. He goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go and rescues the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. And so Moses at this point has already experienced several anger moments. In fact, in Exodus chapter two, before he rescues, before God uses him to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt, he actually killed an Egyptian because he got angry at how that Egyptian was treating a Hebrew. Now you would say, man, that was, that was righteous anger. But did it lead to something righteous? So we see anger early on in Moses' life, at least from what we know about his life. Even later on, after he delivers them from Egypt, uh, they're wandering around in the desert. And if you know the story of the Israelites through the Old Testament, it's this constant up and down of following God, disobeying God, listening to God, rebelling from God. And, and Moses was stuck in that roller coaster ride of leading God's people as they were with God and then when they fell away from God. In fact, one time he got so mad. I'm just gonna read this to you. You don't have to look at it, but in Exodus 32, um, this is when God's people turned away from God. It says that he, Moses, burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets. That's the 10 commandments. Like you're not supposed to throw those. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that was an idol that they had made, burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into water and forced the people to drink it. I think Moses has maybe a little bit of a temper. And that's not coming from God. God didn't say, all right, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to smash the thing that I just gave you, and then I want you to grind all this up and powder and force people to drink it. No, there, there's obviously moments where we see God giving consequences. We're even gonna see that in Numbers 20. But bottom line, Moses obviously had some anger issues. And we're gonna see that again in Numbers chapter 20. If you read with me, starting in verse two, here's the scene. There was, now, by the way, this is about, they're almost out of this wilderness stage. Like they're wandering around the wilderness for about 40 years. This is on the tail end of it, right before they get ready to go into the promised land. Verse two, there was no water for the people to drink at that place. So they rebelled, nothing new, rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into the wilderness to die along with all of our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Like, I can understand why Moses is getting angry. Like, I could totally understand that. He's been on this roller coaster ride for the last 40 years with the Israelites. They haven't been grateful. They haven't been faithful. They have not been thankful and here they are again, not just being complainers, they're blaming Moses. How dare you rescue us from slavery in Egypt? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, if I was Moses, I'd be like, why aren't you being so grateful? Like, be thankful for what I did for you. Be thankful for what I sacrificed. Like, I could understand why Moses is a little upset. So verse six, Great first response. He goes to God. I love this. Verse six, Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle. Sometimes you just have to do that. You get so mad, you need to walk away and you need to go to God. I love how he starts. Doesn't end well, but he starts well. <laughs> 
where they fell then face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord said to Moses, here's the instructions. You and Aaron must take the staff and, the, and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock. Pay attention to these instructions. Speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. I love that we get a glimpse into the character of God here. Like God is using this moment to show his people just how good he is. God does not lash out at his people. He doesn't give Moses permission to be angry and to teach them a lesson on gratitude. He says, I will provide. I will care. I will be their shepherd. I will be their provider. There's a whole other side thing here. If you want to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, there's a whole thing about God being our source of living water. He's teaching them a lesson about Jesus that's going to come all the way back in Numbers chapter 20. So God is kind. He is compassionate. He is patient. And that's what he wants Moses to show the people. Even though you're grumbling, even though you're complaining, I'm gonna show you that I am your source of life. I will show you my patience. I will show you my goodness, even though you don't deserve it. It's a beautiful picture of God's character. Jesus obviously carries that into what we'd call the New Testament. Remember some of Jesus' teaching? Love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you or mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. Even though we are mistreated, God shows us what his character should look like. Verse nine, here's what Moses does. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it had been kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come together, to come and gather at the rock. So far he's followed God. Look at what happens next. See if you can kind of see where he kind of starts to go on his anger rage path. He summons everybody together at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock livestock drank their fill. He started out following God. He took the staff. He gathered everybody together, but then his anger took over. Now, we don't actually see the word anger here in Numbers chapter 20, but scripture has a great way of giving us insight into scripture. So in Psalm 106, I'll put this up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Psalm 106, the entire chapter, if you want to read it, gives a little bit of the history and the ups and downs of Israel. When you get to verse 32, 33, 34, it actually is revisiting this account. And notice they made Moses angry and he spoke Foolishly, That's specifically talking about this scene in Numbers chapter 20. So we know that Moses was angry and this is where he started to take a detour. He allowed his anger to take over. God told him to take the staff, gather the people and speak to the rock and water would come out. Moses took the staff, gathered the people, shouted at the people and then hit the rock twice. You see how anger took him in a different direction. God never told him, shout at the people, chastise them, tell them that they're rebels. Then make sure you go over there and beat the the rock with a stick. It's not what God had commanded. And what we see here is it's almost as if Moses is paying more attention, like he's hyper-focused on the sins of the people versus the goodness of God. God wanted to show, the whole purpose was that God wanted to show his people his kindness, his compassion, and his patience And here Moses is just, you rebels. 
He wants to point out their sin. He wants to be fixated on their sin, on their rebellion. And his anger seems like it takes over and takes control. Instead of speaking to the rock, he shouts at the people. Instead of focusing on the goodness of God, he's fixated on the sins of the people. In fact, in this part where he, he's yelling at the people, he never mentions God. Isn't that interesting? It's not a, hey, we went and talked to God. Here's what God wanted us to say, or here's what God wants you to do, or here's how God's gonna provide for you. It's almost as, and, and I, think, I think we can all relate to this. In our anger, we begin to push God out of the situation. We don't point to God anymore. We just point to the sins. We point to the problem. We point to the issue that's making us angry and we push God out. It seems like that is what Moses had done. Got so angry, so fixated on the offense and the sins of the people that he totally missed pointing people to God as provider, as patient, as kind, loving, and compassionate. But I love the goodness of God, still allowed water to come out of the rock, still provided for the people, even though, even though Moses allowed his anger to get the better of him. Verse 12, here's the whole point of why I wanted us to look at Numbers 20, because we see how God talks about anger. Look at verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. Moses' consequence, Moses and Aaron's consequence would, would be to not lead God's people into the promised land. These 40 years of wandering around in the desert, they would die in the wilderness, unable to cross over into the promised land because of this moment. That's a big consequence. And when we read that consequence and when we read about Moses' anger, it's interesting what God decided to fixate on here. Typically with our anger, we would recognize anger's not a good thing, anger's not healthy, anger's not helpful, but we tend to then point to because of how it impacts the people around us, which is not a bad thing, that's accurate. Our anger can hurt other people. When we are angry, we can do and say things that harm other people, relationally or even physically. But it's interesting that God doesn't go that direction. God doesn't bring up the feelings of the Israelites. He doesn't say, Moses and Aaron, you really hurt the Israelites' feelings. You really shouldn't have yelled at them. You shouldn't have raised your voice. You shouldn't have. He doesn't speak about the anger and how it impacted the people around. In fact, what God focused in on was Moses' heart because that's where the real problem with anger is. He focused on two things, Moses' trust and then this word holiness. Let's talk about these two real quick. Because anger is tied to trust and it's also tied to holiness. Trust, God says, Moses and Aaron, you did not trust me enough. And oftentimes our anger can be boiled down into a lack of trusting God. Revenge is, I don't trust that God's gonna take care of things, so I'm gonna take matters into my own, what's the phrase? Into my own hands. So if I'm not trusting God, I'm saying, God, there's some things going on that are making me mad. I don't trust you to deal with it. So I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and I'm gonna deal with it the way that I wanna deal with it or the way that I see fit to deal with it. That's a lack of trust. Getting even is a lack of trust. Even lashing out. Sure, there's some self-control issues. We could talk about that, but it also comes from a lack of trust in our own hearts. 
Moses got so angry, he stopped trusting in God. And it's interesting, the more angry we get, the less we trust in God. The angrier we get, the less and less we trust in God. Let me put these up here, great rhetorical questions and and how it connects anger to trust. Let's talk through them real quick. Do you trust that God will take care of you no matter how others treat you? When people treat you poorly, God, I have to trust you that you will take care of me even when I'm mistreated by somebody else. It's a trust issue. Do you trust God to be just when others offend and sin against you? That's usually where we start to say, but my, my anger is righteous. My anger is right. My anger is justified. Now understand, like we can have the feelings and emotions of anger. We are called to not sin because of our anger. We're gonna talk about that in Ephesians chapter four, but that's what Psalm says in, in Psalm four, remember? Don't sin by letting anger control you. That's where there starts to be a problem. So even if your anger is right and righteous, Are you thinking about it all the time? Is it consuming you? Is it hindering your other relationships? Is it hindering your relationship with God? Because that's all you can think about. Do you trust God to be just? Do you trust him to deal with people's sin? And if you're a believer, here's the good news. Our sin is forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. So let me just push you. Let me push myself as a believer When someone sins against me, you know what my response probably needs to be on some level? Jesus paid for that already. They don't need to pay for it again. Because isn't that what I want? Like my anger, when my anger controls me, do you know what I want? I want them to have to pay for that sin again and again and again because they hurt me. And man, I mean, please hear me. I know that can open up a whole lot of other, other questions. I understand that. But at the very simplest level, when someone sins against you, that sin has been paid for. They don't need to pay for it again. Do you trust God to be just? It's a trust issue. Do you trust God's will and ways even when you are hurt? Well, they hurt me, so then. Well, they hurt me, and so because. God's will and God's ways. Patience, kindness, goodness, compassion, forgiveness grace, mercy. That's God's will and God's ways. And when we're hurt, we don't want to follow those ways. When we're hurt, we want to do what makes us feel better in the moment. Do you trust God? Moses's issue with anger was really stemming from a place of trust. And God called him out. You did not trust me enough. Now let's talk about the other word, holy. He said, God said, you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel. Holy is a word that means set apart. It means different. Sacred might even be another word. So holy, to demonstrate holiness, God is wanting Moses to demonstrate the holiness of God. So to be different in our response. Anybody else on the planet would be angry in this situation, would allow anger to control them in this situation. God wanted Moses to demonstrate his holiness by acting differently. Instead of acting in anger and being controlled by anger, God wanted Moses to show his people, again, the kindness, the goodness, the grace, and the compassion and patience of God. One commentary said it this way, When Moses did, what Moses did was an unholy thing. 
He made God look no different than an angry man or one of the moody pagan gods. He did not reflect the heart and the character of God before the people. That's what Moses missed when it came to his anger. It wasn't just about how he hurt somebody around him. That is most certainly important. We should pay attention to it. God went to the heart and said, you're not demonstrating my holiness. You're acting just like anybody else would when they get angry. You're not demonstrating my holiness. Let me put this question up and explain, let me explain why I'm gonna ask it. When you are angry, who do you follow? Because in Moses' story in Numbers chapter 20, let's be careful that we don't just like blame him because we can live in this as well. We might say something like, well, they made me so angry that that's why I did it. And just by that statement, they made me. Who are you following? Who's in control? Them. Right? We allow people to lead us in anger because of something they say or don't say, something they do or don't do, because of an offense, because of a different opinion or perspective, because they mistreated you. There's, there's a wide range, but do we follow them? Do we follow our anger? Do we allow other people, do we allow situations to control us? Therefore, we follow them instead of following Jesus. Do you understand why that's an important question? When you are angry, who do you follow? Do you follow the anger? Do you follow the person that made you angry? Do you follow the thing that made you angry? Or are you following God? Are you following in Jesus' footsteps? And again, and that's what he's pointing Moses to. You followed your anger. You followed, you allowed the Israelites to lead you down the path of anger. He said, I wanted you to follow me, to demonstrate my holiness. That's gonna be a big question. We're actually gonna see that come up here in Ephesians 4. So let's go there. So there's the story. We see what God says about anger, that it's really a trust issue and that we are called to demonstrate the holiness of God. Paul picks up in Ephesians 4. And again, um, I would highly encourage you, read, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about a lot more than just anger, but you see how Jesus teaches about anger. He actually tightens it up. He doesn't loosen it up. He actually tightens up how we would define uh, anger and when anger controls us. And Jesus has a lot to say about it. Paul helps us understand because of Jesus and his teaching, here's what we do with that as Christians today who are trying to follow Jesus instead of following our anger. Ephesians chapter four, verse 21. Notice how he starts this section. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, so that's a prerequisite. If you know Jesus, if you know what Jesus teaches, if you are committed to following Jesus, then here's the standard, here's the expectation, this is what your life needs to look like. If that's not you, you get to just listen and see what we are supposed to do as Christians. So if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, this does not apply to you. You are free to be angry as much as you want to. <laughs> you didn't like that part? All right, some of you are like, why did I sign up for this? No, we'll see why, right? But understand, this is a call to Christians and how we live because we've heard about Jesus. We've learned the truth that comes from him and here's the truth. Here's what we were called to do, verse 22. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Look at this, truly righteous and what? What's that word? Holy. We are intended to demonstrate the holiness of God. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. 
We follow Jesus as Lord and master and savior, not anyone or anything else. So in the midst of our anger, we still follow Jesus, not our anger, not someone else, not a situation that leads us down the road of allowing anger to control us. We are called to be holy. In fact, scripture says that we are to be holy because he is holy. We are called to demonstrate his holiness. Paul makes it a little bit easier for us to like, so exactly what does that look like? It's almost like he expects the question. So in verse 26, he then says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. We read that out of Psalm chapter four. Here, Paul is quoting from Psalms. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. This is important. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So let's just make a quick statement. We can have feelings of anger. We can be angry. And that does not necessarily become a sin yet. It's when anger controls us. But let me just say this. That is messing with fire, right? That is messing with fire. I don't trust myself to be angry and to not let it completely control me. Maybe you're better at that than I am. But I will bend on the side of, I'm gonna stay away from anger as much as I can because I know how easy it is, like Moses showed us, how easy it is to let your anger get the best of you and to start having the trust issues and no longer am I demonstrating holiness. So the sin is when we are controlled by anger, when, when, when anger becomes our master instead of Jesus. But my two cents, if you're asking for it, is we stay away from it because it is something that quickly takes over and takes control. Paul gives us a few, a few ways to, to make sure that it doesn't control us. He gives one example, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't just keep holding on to it. Like deal with it, talk about it. Jesus talks about this again in Matthew chapter five. Like, here's how you reconcile. Here's how you deal with those feelings of anger. And then he says, because anger gives a foothold for the devil. That word foothold, I don't know what image comes to your mind, uh, but here's what I want come to your mind. I want a chair to come to your mind when it comes to foothold. The, the Greek word that Paul uses there for foothold is topos. Topos literally means a place, space, or a seat. Place, space, or seat. So what Paul is getting at is if you allow anger in, what you're doing is you're saying, hey devil, take a seat. Have a seat in my family. Stay a while. Like be part of our family for as long as you want. You have a seat with my family. When we allow anger into the workplace, with you and a boss or another employee, a coworker or an employee, you invite the devil. Here, I've got a chair for you. Go ahead, have a seat. We would love for you to sit in all of our meetings. That's what you're doing. When you harbor anger, you are giving the devil a seat in your heart. You are giving him space to move and work. I don't think you want the devil sitting with your family. I don't think you want the devil sitting with your marriage, with your kids with your friends, at work, at home. That's what anger does. Anger pulls up a chair, invites the devil to take a seat and says, be part of this with me. That's what Paul is saying. That is a strong warning. That is strong language for anger gives a seat for the devil in your life. He goes on and begins to, and maybe this is even familiar to you. I quote, my kids hate when I quote this. I say, Ephesians 4, 29. 
That might bite me at some point. I don't know, you're not probably supposed to use scripture in that way, but I want them to know it's not just don't say bad things. Like, no, the, God cares about our heart. So Ephesians 4, 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who listen. This is a lot deeper than y'all don't cuss. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, let everything you say, and can we go ahead and just assume we could add text and post and email? Can we add those in there? We're gonna add them even if you don't want them. We're gonna add those. Don't use any language. Look, let everything you say, post, text, write, be good, meaning it needs to be true. It needs to be good. It needs to be helpful. That also means the right time, the right place, the right way, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. In other words, think of this. If I'm gonna say something to you, I would want everybody else that hears what I say to be thinking, oh, I wish Brian would say that to me. Man, how about that for a filter for what you say? The way you talk to your spouse, if everybody else was around, man, I wish, I wish he would talk with me that way. I wish she would say that to me. The way you talk with your kids, kids, the way you talk to your parents, coworkers, bosses, you name the relationship. If everybody else heard you, would they say, oh man, I love that. I wish they would say that to me. Because everything we say is to be an encouragement to every single one who hears it. He keeps going on. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. That means we are set apart. There's that word holy again, verse 31. So what do we do with all this? We get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, just in case the first ones didn't count. Let's make sure we just understand what we are getting rid of in this new holy life that we are called to demonstrate. Verse 32, instead, here's the way we respond because we are different so we respond differently. Instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, pop quiz, tender-hearted oftentimes is translated as compassionate, which means splagnizomai. Man, I was looking forward to using that word a couple weeks ago. It's the Greek word for compassion or tender-hearted, splagnizomai, meaning down in your gut. It's a gut-level care. Compassion, co-passion. You suffer with someone. That's the kind of response we have when people make us angry. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's how we respond. Instead of letting anger control us, we continue to follow our leader, our Lord, our King, our Savior. He's our master, not anger. So we continue to follow the will and the ways of God even when we are angry. Hopefully this is helpful. Uh, let me put a couple never and always statements up based on what we read in Ephesians 4. These are kind of just me pulling a few things out. Um, I would like to say I do all these perfectly. I don't. Um, but can I say I'm a work in progress? God's not done with me yet and he's not done with you either. Never call names. Never raise your voice. Never get historical. In other words, holding on to things of past. Remember, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We don't keep bringing up the past. Never say never or always. I know I have nevers and always in there, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's, it's all, it's, it's generalizing. Well, you always do and you never, like those aren't helpful. Always be quick to listen. Always be slow to speak. That comes out of James 1.19. Always forgive what we just read out of Ephesians 4. Always forgive. Let me say this about forgiveness because I know that opens up a whole lot of other issues. Forgiveness does not condone what somebody did to you. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the relationship restores back to the way it was. 
That's not forgiveness. We forgive because God forgave us through Christ. That's the only reason we forgive, not because they deserve it, and not because the relationship always goes back to the way that it once was. We forgive because he forgave us and loves us. So here's what I'm going to do on this last part. I'm going to put three reflection questions up, and I'm going to leave these up for a little bit. Right? If we can go ahead and maybe pull some lights down, um, I want these to be a moment of prayer for you, not just to think about them, but to truly, God, have I allowed anger to take a seat? Have I invited the devil to have a seat in my relationships and in my different environments? Do I demonstrate the holiness of God? Remember, anger is rooted in trust issues and our lack of demonstrating holiness. And let's be real, who do I need to forgive? Who am I holding their sin against? And I need to realize that sin has been paid for in full. Doesn't mean the relationship goes back to the way it was, but I need to forgive. Beth, if you'll leave those on the screen, let me just leave you with another passage out of Psalms because as you go through this, I hope it creates, uh, not angst, I hope it creates thankfulness. Psalm 146, verse eight, we're told, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone, He showers compassion on all his creation. As you take a moment and pray through these, would you also allow the Holy Spirit to direct your heart to have a heart of thankfulness and gratitude? Because God's character is that of patience and kindness and goodness and compassion and forgiveness. So as he has shown that to us, can you take a moment, pray right where you're at and allow God to begin to speak to you.